Episode 58 How Many Will Be Saved In keeping with the theme of recent episodes reflecting on the last things and death and judgment, heaven and hell, these are things generally we hear about and meditate on during Advent and leading up to Advent. We meditate on the last things because in Advent we anticipate Christ's first coming in the flesh in his incarnation, Christmas, but we also anticipate his second coming. So this attitude of expectation and anticipation that the people of Israel had in waiting for the Messiah to come, we now imitate that in waiting for Christ's second coming. So a question is, how many people will be saved? Really kind of difficult question to contemplate, both because of its implications. We kind of wonder how difficult is it to be saved? Is everyone saved? Are very few people saved? Well, we can say right away that not everyone is saved. That's pretty clear. Christ mentions many times that there are those who are lost. He pretty much says, even to the extent that we consider it most likely divinely revealed, that Judas went to hell. Christ said that it would be better if he had never been born, and the only way that would be true is if he was lost eternally. But before we go on to talk about this question, it's a really important quotation from the late uh, Cardinal Avery Dulles that I think is helpful here. He says, quote, All told, it is good that God has left us without exact information. If we knew that virtually everybody would be damned, we would be tempted to despair. If we knew that all or nearly all are saved, we might become presumptuous. If we knew that some fixed percent, say 50%, would be saved, we would be caught in an unholy rivalry. We would rejoice in every sign that others were among the lost, since our own chances of election would thereby be increased such a competitive spirit would hardly be compatible with the gospel." End quote. So this is really important to remember. The reason God didn't give us any indication about the relative amounts of those who are saved and damned is precisely because of this, because it would be a peril to our salvation either through despair or presumption. And so, of course, in God's infinite wisdom, he did not give us an indication beyond that some are damned and some are saved. Now, of course, he did say in the Gospel of Matthew, for example, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So these are important words. Uh, it doesn't give us any amount, but it does seem to indicate that many people enter upon the wide path to destruction. Now, that doesn't mean anything about them completing that path or whatever, but it seems to indicate that it is much easier to be damned than it is to be saved, precisely because of our fallen nature, because it's much easier to follow our base passions than it is to cultivate virtue and holiness. So that might give us a first indication that Hell is not only not empty, but it's probably pretty well populated. Now, to counterbalance that somewhat depressing image, we have to remember the infinity of God's mercy. God has revealed to us that his mercy is infinite, that there's literally nothing that he won't forgive if we come to him with contrition. And so even those who enter upon the wide path of destruction might find themselves receiving the grace of mercy upon conversion and then finding the narrow gate. But we have to com confront the harsh reality here that both here and in, for example, Christ's parable of the wedding feast where he says many are called but few are chosen, that the way of holiness is difficult. It's not something you fall into like you would fall into destruction. You can't fall into holiness. It's something that requires intentional holiness and perseverance, whereas destruction requires 
simply allowing yourself to continue to commit sin, which is rel which is pretty easy, as we all know. So that's more what's being said here, I think. That salvation is not easy, and we should, of course, know that from the model of Christ's life, that his passion by which he redeemed us was one of great suffering, and so we should expect the same if we desire to be saved. On the other hand, and in a different sense, salvation is easy. And by that I mean that the means of salvation are at our disposal, and they are not difficult to come by. The sacraments, union with God through prayer, access to God's mercy, all of these things are not difficult to access. So salvation is easy if one has the desire for salvation. Of course, the day-to-day -day life of persevering in grace is difficult, but that's what he means by the narrow gate that it requires the strength and perseverance. But that strength and the grace of perseverance is available to us whenever we desire it. And you can see how in God's wisdom, this is how he would present salvation to maximize the possibility of our salvation. Because as Cardinal Dulles said at the beginning, if he were to say, lots of people are saved, then we would just simply presume upon our salvation. If he said, no one, barely anyone is saved, we would despair. But if he says, it's difficult, but here are the means to do it, then that seems to be the way to maximally ensure the salvation of humanity. And this seems to be, of course, and obviously is in God's wisdom, the best way for us to understand the road to salvation, that it is difficult, it is not for the faint of heart, it is not something that is simply given to us, it is something we need to work at, so to speak, in cooperation with God's grace, and that God instituted the means of our salvation and instituted the church for a reason, that they are there for us, so we ought to cling to them very closely. It is not compatible with God's love and his truth to desire for us something that is nearly impossible. Now, it is absolutely impossible for us on our own to achieve salvation. That simply can't happen because we require supernatural life, which comes only from God. But God also wouldn't command something of us and create us for a goal which is nearly impossible either. But something being difficult for us makes sense because of our fallen nature, because of our sin. So salvation is difficult, but he also, as I mentioned, told us exactly what we need to do and promised us that we could trust in his grace, trust in his providence for us. So you can see there's a balancing act here so that we avoid presumption and we avoid despair. And we also need to keep in mind that God desires our salvation more than we do, infinitely more than we do, God desires our union with him in heaven for all eternity more than we could possibly desire that, more than even the greatest saint could possibly desire that. So it's not as if God's playing a game with us and he's trying to throw obstacles in our way. He is giving us as much help as we possibly could need because he wants us to be with him more than we want to be with him. So there's a couple things, a couple realities that we need to hold all at the same time. First is that our freedom is real. It is not an illusion, meaning that if we say no to God with our freedom, God respects that. He doesn't force it. If we say yes to him, of course, God gives us the grace to continue to say yes to him and to persevere until the end. So our freedom is real and God respects it, even if it means eternal separation from him. We might think that, oh, God wouldn't let me, you know, just unwittingly be lost. Well, not unwittingly, but through your sin, which is a, a conscious no to God's will, he will let you do that. God's justice is real as well, that if our freedom is real and we say no to God, then we should expect the just consequence of that, that we will say no to God for all eternity. We talked about that in our episode on the judgment, 
that our will is fixed eternally against God after we leave this world without his grace. That we actually will to be separated from God. And I've quoted before C.S. Lewis saying, the gates to hell are locked from the inside. So our freedom is real, God's justice is real, and God's mercy is real and infinite and incomprehensible. So we ought to never despair of any soul as long as we have breath in our body. Even the worst sinner can receive God's mercy if they validly receive the sacraments and they're disposed to receive God's grace or in ways known only to God in certain extreme situations. So our freedom, God's justice, God's mercy is real and his words in the gospels, of course, are true. That there is hell and it's not empty and there is heaven and it's not empty. So it's good to have a tension between all of these things, a balance between all of these things to avoid endangering our salvation through presumption or in despair. Nowadays, there tends to be more of a favorable view towards, hey, everyone is saved. Because a lot of people don't understand the reality of hell or why God would create hell. And that's, and that's because they don't understand the profound reality of our freedom. So the danger nowadays is more that everyone is saved and that the key to salvation is not turning away from sin and being united to Christ and his church and receiving his body and blood and his mercy in the sacraments, but just being kind, that kindness is the new holiness and that you're not going to find anywhere in the gospel. So that's the tendency that we need, we need to oppose more than anything else is this idea that everyone is saved because at the end of the day, it's just about being kind, not true, not biblical. We need to reform our thinking if that's how we view our path to heaven. So a takeaway of all of these things is that despite the obstacles, and there's lots of obstacles that keep people from the church, that make people fall away from the church, scandal and not feeling that they're receiving any grace from mass, stuff like that. But despite all the op those obstacles, consider these are the things Christ gave us. He said salvation is difficult and of course impossible on our own, but it's difficult. But the church and the sacraments and the teaching of the church are the things that he gave us, the things that he told us we can do to accomplish this very difficult task of salvation. And so despite all the obstacles, despite any bitterness or hesitation, consider what's at stake here. Hell is real, it's eternal, and it's not empty. And it's easy to go to without these means of salvation, these ordinary means of salvation that the church provides for us in our daily life and at the different stages of our life. So if you are away from the church, return to her and ask God for the courage to do so. The temptations that the devil assaults us with to make us think that uh, the church is too mundane to be anything really supernatural. Join anyway, return to her anyway, frequent the sacraments. These are the ordinary means of salvation for us sinners. Avoid sin like the plague because as soon as we fall into sin and we don't turn away from it, then it becomes easier and easier. This is why the way to perdition is wide and many find it. The more we allow ourselves to remain in sin, the further along the path to perdition we find ourselves and eventually we don't even recognize that we're on the road to perdition. And every sin, every earthly pleasure is nothing compared to the joys of heaven. Now go back and listen to the episodes on, on heaven and the joys of heaven. Nothing compares to it. So to sacrifice the eternal beatitude of heaven, which is beyond our comprehension, for temporary pleasures really makes no rational sense. St. Teresa of Avila said, basically, compared to eternity and the joys of eternity, all of life and all the sufferings of this life will appear to us as just a night in a bad hotel. When we look back on our life in this world, if we make it to heaven, God willing, 
All of the sufferings and sorrows in this life that seem so crushing and so overwhelming will, in retrospect, seem like nothing more than a night in a bad hotel, which is a good way to think about it. I'll end this episode with another quotation from Cardinal Dulles on this topic. Quote, We are forbidden to seek our own salvation in a selfish and egotistical way. We are keepers of our brothers and sisters. The more we work for their salvation, the more of God's favor we can expect for ourselves. Those of us who believe and make use of the means that God has provided for the forgiveness of sins and the reform of life have no reason to fear. We can be sure that Christ, who died on the cross for us, will not fail to give us the grace we need. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, and that if we persevere in that love, nothing whatever can separate us from Christ. That is all the assurance we can have, and it should be enough. Thank you for listening to Catholic Daily Brief. Please share this podcast with your family and friends, and consider becoming a member at patreon.com slash catholicdailybrief. God bless.